Well, a couple of, couple of years ago, uh, some friends of mine, a couple with children, invited me and some other mutual friends over to their place for a 7.30pm get-together. I expected that would mean we were having dinner together. 7.30 seems like a grown-up kind of time to have dinner, probably just after the kids have gone to bed. Uh, we arrived on time, had some really delicious cheese and drinks together, but as time passed, as the cheese board disappeared, and as neither of our hosts made any efforts to prepare or serve dinner, it dawned on me and the other guests there'd been some misunderstanding. Our expectations of a meal turned out to be wrong. This wasn't a, di a dinner gathering. Our hosts had actually eaten dinner with their kids at 5.30 at their normal time, and they expected us to eat before we came. It was a lovely evening of friendship and cheese, uh, but I won't lie, I definitely stopped at McDonald's on the way home. I'm sure you've found yourselves in situations where your expectations haven't been met, or maybe you were even completely overturned, and maybe in a much more serious way in my, in, than my story. After all, all I had to do was eat some fast food. Our story from Matthew's Gospel today is all about expectations. The expectations of John the Baptist as he sits in prison, uh, the expectations of the crowd following Jesus, and also our expectations. This passage challenges us to think, what are my expectations of Jesus? How often do I expect Jesus to fit into my plans, my agenda, instead of listening to him? And am I willing to have my expectations overturned by the power of his voice? Well, so far in Matthew's Gospel, uh, the author, Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples, has told the story of Jesus' birth and his early ministry. Uh, Jesus has been announcing the coming of the kingdom and taught about how to live as his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. He's healed many who were sick. He stilled a storm, freed people from demon possession, and has even raised someone from the dead. Jesus has been acting as a king, bringing in the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's also acting with the authority of God, with power over creation and death. And this has already challenged a lot of people's expectations. Uh, the Jewish people were steeped in the teaching and tradition of their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And so they had very strong expectations of a promised Messiah. Now, Messiah just means anointed one. Uh, and in the Old Testament, that word referred to a king who'd been anointed by God to bring restoration and judgment. And at the time when Jesus lived on earth, the Messiah was expected to come as a powerful military leader who would overthrow the occupying Roman forces and bring in a new world order. Although we don't share these ancient Jewish expectations of Jesus, we can often read Jesus in the Gospels with our own weight of expectations and assumptions, can't we? Uh, we can assume that Jesus is all about acceptance and miss his words of rebuke. Or we might expect Jesus to only focus on sin and forget his compassion for the needy. We can heap our own agendas and expectations on him 
when instead we need to come near to him with curious minds and open hearts uh, so that he can overturn our expectations in the best possible way. Well, let's turn, have a look at Matthew chapter 11, which starts uh, with John's expectations of Jesus. So when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So John is John the Baptist, uh, who is Jesus' cousin. And earlier in Matthew's gospel, John was introduced as a fiery preacher who lived in the desert, uh, wore clothes made from camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey. John's message involved warning the Jewish people to repent and he was preparing the way for the coming Messiah. Uh, Earlier in chapter three of Matthew, uh, John says about the Messiah, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, John's mission and message are loaded with echoes from the Old Testament and the weight of centuries of prophecy and expectation. Every Jewish person longed for God's return to Israel. Uh, But John knew his Old Testament and he knew that God coming to be with his people would inevitably involve judgment. Israel hadn't been faithful to God, and so God would come with a winnowing fork and fire, the fork to gather the wheat, which would be preserved, and the fire for the remaining chaff, the leftover bits of the harvest that would be burnt to nothing. Well, perhaps uh, John's zeal and passion is something you can relate to. I doubt the issue you're passionate about is the spiritual state of ancient Israel, but What about Australia's treatment of refugees? Or the continuing inequality between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians? As I've seen the news about the war in Ukraine, especially the bombing of a maternity hospital last week, I can feel the frustration and sadness like something coiled in my chest. I almost want to shake my fist at God. Why would he allow this to happen? Why didn't he protect those women and babies, the medical staff? Well, I don't have an easy answer for why injustice often wins and why God doesn't immediately judge those who do evil. But in situations like this, God isn't really fitting into my expectations for who he is and how I think he should act. Uh, In Matthew chapter 11, John is experiencing similar frustration and confusion. During his time in the desert, John confronted people with their sin and warned them to change their lives or face God's wrath. And eventually, this had landed him in jail. We find out from Mark's gospel that John had been imprisoned because he'd confronted King Herod for taking his brother's wife as his own. John is passionate about God's holiness, and now he's facing death as a result. Earlier, John had recognised Jesus' greatness, but now he seems to be having doubts. And so he sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask the question, is Jesus the one who was to come, the expected Messiah? 
John had been expecting judgment to be part of the Messiah's arrival, but Jesus is just living among ordinary men and women, teaching them about God and healing the sick. Was this really what the Messiah would do? Is this what it looks like for God to return to his people? John's doubts are understandable, I think. He's given up his life to this cause, to announcing the coming of the Messiah, and now he's rotting away in prison, and he looks at Jesus' life and ministry, and he's uncertain that he got it right. Perhaps Jesus isn't the one he's been looking for. Well, in classic Jesus style, uh, Jesus does not give a direct answer, but he does respond to John's doubts with compassion and gentleness. Uh, In front of the crowd, he tells John's disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He presents the evidence and tells John and the crowd to draw their own conclusions. And just like John's message earlier in the gospel, Jesus' words here carry a weight of prophecy and expectation. Jesus echoes the words of Isaiah the prophet 700 years earlier, as we read in our Old Testament reading today. From Isaiah, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. When will this happen? When will the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers be cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead be raised and the poor hear the good news? Well, Isaiah tells us when God comes, when God's people will see the glory of the Lord. Jesus is fulfilling the expectations of Old Testament prophecy and he's also overturning John's expectations of the Messiah. John expected the Messiah to come with judgment, and he will. Isaiah 35 also contains words of judgment. Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. But Jesus expands John's vision of what this judgment will look like. Jesus has first come to save, to become friends with ordinary people, to bring good news, to offer freedom and everlasting joy. Jesus knows that what he's saying is difficult for John and maybe for others because he then says uh, in Matthew, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I know I might not be the Messiah you expect, Jesus says, but I'm the Messiah you actually need. One who brings judgment, certainly. I definitely care about justice and holiness. But first of all, I'm the Messiah who brings healing and new life. I'm bringing in a kingdom that elevates the downtrodden, the needy, and gives them hope. Jesus overturns John's and our expectations about judgment. Well, although John has some doubts about Jesus' identity, in the next few verses we see that Jesus has no such doubts about who John is. Uh, As John's disciples are leaving, Jesus turns to the crowd and asks them what made them go and see John in the desert. 
Jesus says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. What kind of person did the crowd think John was? Not a reed swayed by the wind. That is a changeable, weak man who just told people what they want to hear. Definitely not. John spoke the truth, often with a harshness that offended people. And he wasn't a man dressed in fine clothes and living in a palace. Instead, he was known for his ascetic way of life. John had no time for comfort as he gave his life to preaching the reality of God's coming judgment, like many of the prophets in the Old Testament did. John is another prophet in the line of Old Testament prophets, but Jesus tells the crowd, John is even greater than them because his task is unique. He's preparing the way for God's imminent arrival. Uh, in another Old Testament echo, Jesus quotes from Malachi, uh, the last book in the Old Testament. Jesus says, from Malachi, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. John's task is so important that Jesus calls him the greatest person to ever live. But then Jesus flips our expectations again, uh, saying, yes, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Although John the Baptist is the greatest until now because he announces Jesus coming, he's actually less than the least in the kingdom of heaven. John ends up being killed before Jesus' death and resurrection, and so he never actually sees the arrival of this kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, the least are the greatest. Whoever wants to become great must be the servant of all. And even Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus paints a beautiful picture here of the kingdom of heaven that overturns our expectations about greatness and power. Uh, the next few verses are a little bit tricky, but I think here Jesus is interacting uh, more with the idea of power. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been reading it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the, the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus acknowledges that it's often the most violent and forceful who get power. And those in the kingdom of heaven, God's people, have been subjected to this violence and will continue to be like John as he sits in prison. Uh, but Jesus seems to be suggesting that evil and violence will not have the final word. Throughout all of history, God has been laying down the groundwork for his salvation plan. The prophets and the law are another uh, term for the Old Testament, which covers everything since creation. And in all this time, God was sowing clues, giving words of promise and hope to his people about the coming of a Messiah. John, like Elijah, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, is announcing the coming of God to bring in his great salvation plan. We might look at the world and expect the most violent, the most forceful to always win. 
but that's not the ultimate reality. The kingdom of heaven has brought in a new reality in which the least are the greatest and the king of the universe gives up his own life for our salvation. Jesus spectacularly overturns our expectations about power and greatness. Finally, Jesus ends his teaching with a parable and a proverb. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Uh, Jesus again questions the crowd's expectations of him and John. He says that the, the crowd is like a group of children playing a game at a community gathering. Uh, when a pipe was played, this was a signal to dance and celebrate. And when a dirge or a lament was sung, this was a signal to mourn. It seems the crowd expected the Messiah to act in a certain way, to dance to the tune that they played. On one hand, John lived an ascetic life, a withdrawal to reflect the harshness of his message, and the crowd thought he was mad. Jesus does the opposite, spending time eating and drinking with people to show God's abundance, and the crowd thinks he's a lazy hedonist. Neither man kept to the crowd's expectations. But in the end, the outcomes of their lives show that both John and Jesus lived with wisdom, with real faith, looking forward to the kingdom of heaven. In this story, Jesus overturns expectations about his identity and his mission. Uh, first, he overturns John's expectations about judgment, reminding him that the Messiah has come to bring mercy as well as justice. And then he overturns the crowd's expectations about power, teaching that those who are least are treasured in the kingdom of heaven. And finally, he overturns the crowd's expectations about wisdom, showing that there are multiple ways to faithfully live God's way. Jesus overturns expectations about judgment, about power, and about wisdom. And later in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus fulfills God's salvation plan for humanity in a way that no one would ever have expected, by going willingly to die on a cross, naked and humiliated. The Messiah was meant to bring judgment, but Jesus overturned this expectation taking the judgment we deserve so that we could be reconciled to God. The Messiah was the promised king with all power and authority. But Jesus overturned this expectation as well, giving up his power and humbling himself to death so that we could be redeemed. And in dying on a cross, the Messiah did the least wise thing of all. After all, the cross looks like complete foolishness. But again, Jesus overturned this expectation, showing that the cross is God's ultimate act of wisdom in the way for the life. Jesus overturned our expectations about judgment, about power, and about wisdom. So how does Jesus need to overturn our expectations? 
how does he need to overturn my expectations? We can have all sorts of expectations for God, for how he should run the world and what we expect in our lives. We might think that if we're following Jesus, he owes us a relatively pleasant life. If I give a percentage of my income to the church and those in need and serve at church sometimes, that surely should mean that God will bless me with good health and happiness. I mean, we mightn't lay it out that bluntly, but we can still be driven by these unspoken assumptions. And when hard things happen, that cancer diagnosis, a broken marriage, bullying at work, we can become angry or disillusioned with God. This isn't what I expected, God. What are you doing? So how does Jesus need to overturn our expectations? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian and pastor who stood up to Hitler and was eventually killed for his resistance. Uh, while he was in prison as an innocent man, like John the Baptist, he wrote these words in a letter to his fiancée, who he never saw again. Uh, he said, God is forever upsetting our plans, but only in order to fulfill his own better plans through us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew what it was to have his plans and expectations overturned by God. And he trusted his saviour that his plans were better. Not easier, but better. How might Jesus be overturning your expectations? Maybe Jesus is waiting for us to look at him to listen so he can gently challenge us and comfort us with his expectations and his plan. Because his expectations, his plan, are to bring in his kingdom, to save us and involve us in the glorious work of his kingdom. Uh, perhaps we need to spend some time listening to his voice and leaving space for God to work through his spirit in overturning our expectations. Well, as the band gets up to perform our next, so our next song, uh, please stay seated. If you'd like to sing along, definitely do that. Uh, but if you'd prefer, how about using these few minutes to just sit and listen to the music, to the words, to reflect on Jesus' great love for you and what he might be saying to you.